Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, this is, this is TJ Wilson, a.k.a. Tyson Kidd, and you're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. You're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast, established 2019. Direct from the North Wales coast, his verbal skills definitely outweigh his wrestling ability. It's time for British Wrestling's Sharpshooter, your host, Stu Palmer! A warm welcome to episode 44 of Stu's Wrestling Podcast and what a treat I've got for you this week. We are heading back to the US of A and it's none other than former WWF, WWE talent, alumni, Duke the Dumpster Drosy and by his real name, Mike Drosy. And what a pleasure it was to get Mike on for an honest and frank conversation about his career, how he got into wrestling. He started wrestling very, very young and went on to do very, very well in WWF. He talks about Vince McMahon, he talks about wrestling Triple H, he talks about modern wrestling, what his thoughts are on that. Mike had some addiction issues over the years, but he is now helping people in recovery. That's what he does as his day job, I'm sure it's been very rewarding for him and you'll hear all about that as well. So we don't just touch upon wrestling this week, it's about him helping people. He uses his experiences to help others now. So here we go, episode 44, Mike Drozzy, aka Duke the Dumpster Drozzy, enjoy. My guest this evening, this afternoon where he is, is none other than Mike Drozzy and we knew him as Duke the Dumpster Drozzy back in the 90s in WWF, WWE. How's it going, Mike? It's going great, Stewie. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you. Thank you for coming on, man. Honestly, it's, uh, it's humbling for me when you guys come on. Guys, guys from a childhood that I love watching, you know, full circle, full circle. Well, I certainly appreciate that. Thank you. How's lockdown been, Mike? That's my first question all the time at the moment. It wasn't so bad here. Um, you know, they're getting back to normal slowly but surely. Here in Tennessee, it really, things weren't so bad. So, uh, you know, I work for a government program now, so our building is still shut down, but it's even going to be opening up in the next week or so, um, you know, with restrictions, of course. But things are pretty much getting back to normal slowly but surely here. So, uh, you know, I think just people are taking the necessary precautions and, Hopefully we'll get through this thing and get back to some semblance of normal soon, hopefully, you know? Cool, man. Right, into wrestling now. When did you begin watching pro wrestling when you were younger? When I was a kid. um, Man, I want to say elementary, definitely junior high school, like seventh, eighth grade, uh, like middle school age. I grew up in Florida. I watched championship wrestling from Florida. Um, I grew up on that run by um, Eddie Graham. It had the likes of uh, Dusty Rhodes, Kevin Sullivan, uh, Blackjack Mulligan. Later on, uh, Lex Luger came through. Rick Rude came through there. We were just talking about Barry Horowitz. He was there for quite a while. 
Um, <clears throat> there was a lot of great wrestlers that came through there, and that's where I started watching uh, wrestling. That's cool. My next one to go off from that is which guys – I know you've obviously stated some of the guys. Which guys did you gravitate to? Who did you enjoy watching? Well, I always enjoyed, you know, Dusty Rhodes was always entertaining when I was a kid growing up. But I have to say when I was coming up in the business later on, uh, when I was in high school, I started to learn how to become a professional wrestler. I went to a school. But during those years, I was watching the Road Warriors and Ric Flair. Those were the people that I grew up idolizing or came up idolizing in the business that I tried to emulate and copy um, as much as I could. I was a huge fan of the Road Warriors, and Ric Flair was just such an amazing interview and such an amazing wrestler. I remember actually when I was still really young, I went and did a TV taping for the NWA uh, Championship Wrestling from Florida in Tampa, and I was like 18 years old. And I watched Ric Flair work with enhancement wrestlers, and he was the world champion. And he was giving these guys all kinds of stuff in the ring. He made it a good match. And that always amazed me because everybody else just chewed up, you know, their job guys, so to speak, the enhancement wrestlers. They would just chew them up and spit them out and beat them real fast. Ric Flair always made a point to make it a match before he went over because he was smart, you know, that made it, that meant that it, it meant something then. Um, so that, that was one of the things that always impressed me about Ric Flair. Now, later on, he got kind of weird, but um, 1980s Ric Flair and the Road Warriors were my idols. What was it about, what was it about the Road Warriors? Was it just, just the smash mouth style that they had? Uh, a lot of it was the smash mouth style. I stole a lot of my, I was a power move guy. I was a brawler and I took a lot of that stuff from them. Uh, I took uh, Road Warrior Animals Power Slam, um, you know, the clotheslines and stuff that they do, all that kind of stuff uh, I took from the Road Warriors. Uh, but for me, it was just when, during that time, it was a very special time for the Road Warriors before they became the LOD in WWF. When they were down in the NWA, WCW, again, in the 80s, mid to late 80s, when the Road Warriors would come to town, and they would come out through those curtains. That was uh, a feeling like no other. It was an amazing thing. That's why they, somebody down the road came up with the term a Road Warrior pop. Like when the crowd really goes nuts, they say that was almost a Road Warrior pop because the Road Warriors had such a huge pop. The fans were so crazy for them. And a lot of that time they were wrestling as heels. But there was such an energy when they came out and it was just amazing. That was what I wanted. That I wanted that amazing feeling that I was feeling when I was watching them. I wanted to be able to give that to people. And uh, that's why I really idolized them. I was going to ask, like, did any events stand out for you pre before you went into the business and trained yourself any any events stand out nwa well i can tell you the one that made me want to without a doubt want to become a professional wrestler was wrestlemania one uh with hulk hogan and mr t versus roddy piper and paul orndorff the tag match they had cindy lopper there and all that it was just this event it was totally different than anything anyone had ever seen and um, I remember my dad took me to see it uh, at a local uh, – we had a, a, an arena. The, the Miami Beach Convention Center was the arena. And um, you went there and watched it on a big screen TV via closed-circuit television because there was no pay-per-view back then. It was just closed-circuit television. That's how you watch this stuff. And we went to arena, an arena and watched it on TV, basically. And I just remember during that match – and the hype up for that match with Hulk Hogan, and during that match, the way they laid it out, I just, at one point, I literally stood up and turned to my dad, and I said, that right there is what I want to be. I want to be a wrestler. Uh, and that's when it started. That's cool, man. Right, natural progression on questions now. It's got to be, when did you begin training? <clears throat> I was still in high school. I was a high school wrestler uh, in Miami, Florida. and. Uh, my last, my senior year in high school, my last year, we had a fundraiser for the wrestling team where we brought in the wrestlers from 
championship wrestling from Florida. So like Dusty Rhodes, Barry Windham, Lex Luger, they all came to my school and did a show in the, in the gym. And the guys like myself that were on the high school wrestling team, we got to walk them to the ring. We did security. And my dad was hanging around in the locker room just kind of meeting them because I was too scared to ask anybody. But my dad asked them where a school was locally down in Florida. Uh, and a guy named Tyree Pride told us of a school that was being run by his tag team partner, a guy named the Jamaican Jammer Bobby Wales. And uh, that's where I went to learn. It was just a, basically an old dusty ring and an old dusty warehouse. There was nothing cool. There was no, you know, nothing else there. It was just a ring. <clears throat> and we would show up several times a week and train and learn. Um, another guy that went through the school with me at that time was uh, Norman Smiley. Uh, he used to wrestle his Black Magic. He was wrestling. He was coming up at the same time at, through that school and doing local shows as well through that wrestling school. So. Uh, it was an interesting time, and it was fun, and it, and it was a great it – it was an easy transition for me coming out of high school wrestling because I was in great shape. I could do anything. I could move, and I, I learned pretty fast, and I would say I probably had my first match after about six months, but I was still high school age. I had just come out of high school, and I was learning to be a professional wrestler. That's cool, man. It was like early – early. I, I thought – I assumed it'd be like you'd be in your, your early 20s doing it, so that's, that's cool. How did um, how did you come up with your first gimmick in the business? Obviously, you said six, six months, your first match. How did you come up with it initially? Well, it's funny. My very first match, my very first gimmick, uh, Bobby Wales, the guy that trained me, called me Mean Mike Casey. And the reason he called me that is because obviously my first real name, my real first name is Mike. But I used to wear this shirt from my high school every time at practice. And my high school was the Killian Cougars, KC. And so I had a KC on my shirt. So he just took that and he said, you're going to be mean Mike Casey. And that was my very first gimmick. My second gimmick, shortly thereafter, we went and did a tour in the Bahamas. Uh, this is right around the same time. And Tyree Pride and Bobby Wales and all these guys ran it. And I wrestled as the surfer. Remember, I'm still like 19, 18, 19. I, were, I wrestled as the surfer boy, Harry Race, the nephew of Harley Race. And uh, that was a very short-lived gimmick as well. But uh, later on, when I was wrestling in Florida and in the independents and kind of finding my way, I started to really think. <clears throat> and I was also going to college at the University of Miami, and I was in a fraternity. And a lot of my drunk fraternity brothers used to come up with really cool names. And one of the names they came up with was Rocco Gibraltar. And I really thought that was a cool name. And I took that name one day and I was just sitting there in my room and I was thinking, okay, I got to come up with a character that will work in the WWF. And um, eventually I came up with the garbage man Rocco Gibraltar. And that's who I started wrestling as in Florida. I was the garbage man Rocco Gibraltar. I started immediately taping every match I had so I could put together footage and create a promotional package and do everything I needed to do. And uh, that's how it came about. I started off as the garbage man Rocco Gibraltar, and later they just changed the name to Duke the Dumpster so they could, you know, own it for licensing purposes. You know what? I only obviously did a bit of research. I didn't realize that you went as the garbage man prior to WWF. Until I, I obviously did some research. So there we go. Yeah, and Vince really liked it. Obviously, I, you know, I went up to him with a promotional package and handed it to him with a tape and a pictures. And I had the whole thing was set up and all based around that garbage man character. And he just latched right onto it. It was perfect for what he wanted. He envisioned it like a cross between Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Hillbilly Jim, a big working class baby face. Uh, and that's what it was while I was there. Uh, that's kind of what we did. That was the direction we worked in. And uh, it was cool. It was good while it lasted. I read up also, you placed in PWI. And you were placed You were placed at 500. You got in the 500 being the 500th man. Now, the fans, when you got to WWF, this is me researching this. Obviously, I was, I was young at the time. Done the research. The fans in WWF would champ 500 at you, apparently. No, that was actually just a story put forward by 
Pro Wrestling Illustrated. They Fine. said they were chanting. They were not chanting. Fine, Fine. okay. But I will say this. It was uh, what happened was it all just kind of happened coincidentally at the same time. I was wrestling down in Florida for the Sunshine Wrestling Federation. And one of the guys down there was friends with Bill Actor. And um, I guess somehow they found out about me wrestling down in Florida as the garbage man. And, you know, each year it was obviously very important who number one was going to be. But it was also this whole process of them choosing who the number 500 was going to be. Because it was considered like almost like a very coveted spot. And this friend of mine came up to me and said, they are interested in making you number 500. I didn't even really think about it. I said, yeah, that's cool, whatever. And uh, sure enough, I was on that list. I was the Pro Wrestling Illustrated number 500 out of the top 500. And um, shortly thereafter, I went up to Vince and did what I did and got a tryout. But Pro Wrestling Illustrated didn't have anything to do with that. They wanted to think they did. And they wrote a story that they did. But um, no, that was all my doing, and uh, which I let them take credit. I don't care. That's fine. But but it was just interesting how it all came together at the same time. Uh, but it was basically a coincidence. Obviously, we'll go we'll go into WWF a bit now. We'll extend on it. Uh, which guys did you enjoy working with there in WWF? Which guys was was it a pleasure getting in there with who you haven't faced on the independents? <clears throat> Uh, Triple H was definitely always a pleasure to work with because I had a decent, I had a decent run with him, mm-hmm. and we wrestled in a lot of matches. Uh, you know, I didn't like the click at a certain time. I didn't like the click much. Uh, but I've always said I tried to get along with everybody. But I have to say, Triple H was always a consummate professional. He was always willing to try anything. I mean, I, I. I slammed him all over the place, and he took it every night like a trooper. He did not complain, never, not once did he ever complain. Um, he was always willing to do stuff that make the match better, and I always had to respect him for that. Now, guys that I used to wrestle like in house shows, uh, Savio Vega, especially when he was Quang, Henry Godwin, the hog farmer, PCO, who back then was Quebecer Pierre, yeah. Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Uh, and the few occasions I had to wrestle Stone Cold Steve Austin, all of those guys were freaking hilarious. And Owen Hart, he was, I didn't wrestle him much, but in battle Royals and stuff, but these people were all hilarious in the ring and fun. They always made it fun. We always had a laugh. And uh, I have to say, I enjoyed working with all those guys. Mike, looking back, just going back to Triple H, could you have foreseen how successful Triple H was going to be further down the line? Could you tell that he, he was going to be a, a huge star in the company, looking back? Uh, I could tell he was, he was good in the ring. He was a good wrestler. Um, I could tell that he loved the business. If nothing else, the Click members used to always sit around talking about the wrestling business. Uh, and I have to hand it to them. They they were in love with the wrestling business, which you have to be. Um, another thing about Triple H is he never, ever did any drugs or alcohol, ever. Uh, and he's still, I think it's still that way to this day. Uh, and that may not seem like a huge thing, but I'm sure that was an important factor with Vince McMahon early on uh, when when – Triple H started moving into more of a creative role. He knew that he could trust him not to, you know, go running off the deep end and doing drugs and stuff because that was not Triple H's thing. He didn't do drugs or any of that stuff. So in those respects, I think he had everything, you know, all the things that it would take to move along in this business and be successful. But I never knew he would go to the level that he is now you know, being on the cusp of perhaps taking over the whole company. Um, and that's great for him, man. He's worked very hard to get there. A lot of people don't like him, but there's a lot of jealous people in this business. When somebody's doing well, there's always going to be people that hate him. And I was one that hated him and the click early on, and I since learned that it, a lot of that was my issue. So, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of haters out there, but uh, I never saw – I never see – Paul getting as big as he was or has and doing those things that he has done, but he definitely had it early on. So that's good. That n- nice answer. Nice answer. That. And um, 
during your time in the company, this is going to be another one I wanted to ask, uh, was there any talent within the company who you felt didn't get to where they should have got to? Somebody who was, could have made it to the top but didn't get it, if you could think off the top of your head. Um, there's always guys that, you know, just... It's an interesting thing in that in the wrestling business, especially up there for Vince McMahon, it's he gives people opportunities. And sometimes if one little thing doesn't go right, it completely turns Vince off to that person. And then they're either they'll never have another chance or they'd be very lucky if they ever got another chance. Um, guys like that would be Adam Bomb. I mean, he was a monster, and he, I don't know, it seemed like they could have done so much more with him. Lex Luger and the whole Lex Express thing, and them just pulling the plug on that. Um, you know, he wasn't necessarily the most charismatic guy, but they could have worked around that and made him a bigger star than he ended up being. But instead, they just kind of pulled the plug. Uh, let me think. Savio Vega, when he was Quang or, or Savio or whatever, he was always a great worker. Um, and he he got some pretty good pushes, but uh, he could have been he could have been a main guy, I think. But yeah, there's quite a few. Yeah, and it's just interesting that they they pull the plug pretty quick if they see something they don't like, or if certain people don't like you, you don't get another chance. Now, Bret Hart, Bret Hart to this day. He's still my favourite of all time from from when I was a kid. Met met the man. I've met the man. Couldn't string a sentence together when I met him, Mike. Uh, <laughs> I, I was just I, and I was with my dad. My dad came to WrestleMania that year, and he's shaking Brett's hand. And I just I just couldn't keep my composure. I don't know why. Anyway, sorry, I'm making a big thing out of this. Oh, how was how was Brett? Because I I love Brett still to this day. Here's the thing about Brett. Uh, I enjoyed it. I rode with Brett quite a bit, as a matter of fact. At one point, I asked him to help me and advise me. Um, and he did in certain situations and circumstances. He gave me advice and things of that nature. But I also think you got to remember, he comes from the same bloodline as Owen Hart. And I think there were times when Brett Hart was winding me up <clears throat> and uh, maybe not giving me the best advice. I mean, I don't think he was trying to sabotage my career or anything, but I think he was having fun at my expense sometimes. Um, but, yeah, it was always interesting riding with him and listening to things that he had to say about the business and uh, stuff like that. Uh, great wrestler, oh. amazing wrestler. Um, oh. And the way he thinks and the way he puts together matches, it was just always interesting to sit there and listen to him talk about that stuff. So, yeah, he, he was a great wrestler. I was um, I was at Wembley Stadium for SummerSlam '92, man. Wow! Dad, Dad took me. I was only six, but obviously I remember bits bits of it. And oh, what, I, I still watch that match to this day, Mike. Timeless. Yeah, that was an amazing match. That that I think took his career to a new height uh, for sure. I mean, he was already at a good spot, but. Um, that and there was plenty of other matches he did the same thing where um, it was just amazing and that match with him and Davey that was one of those very special moments in the wrestling history just to go back to you because obviously the episode is about you I, I've read obviously on your Facebook you were saying about were they trying you out for commentary yeah uh, there was one point where they did <clears throat> you know I was always such a goof in the locker room trying to make people laugh that uh, I think at one point the click, well, first of all, Jerry the King Lawler had left the commentary position for some reason, briefly, and uh, somewhere in maybe late 95 or something like that. And um, I think Vince tried, to, he wanted to use Shawn Michaels, but Shawn didn't want to be a commentator. Shawn wanted to be a wrestler. He wanted to be the champion. So Shawn did one or two shows of Raw and then he wasn't going to do it anymore. So Vince had to find somebody else. Um, I think at one point they even tried Bastion Booger on Live Raw, and it didn't work out too well. Uh, and um, what they did is they flew me into the studio for a tryout, and they didn't tell me what was going on until I got there. And when I got there, they said I was trying out for a commentary position. 
And when I walked in the door, to my surprise, I was trying out sitting right next to Vince McMahon, calling a match at the studio of Monday Night Raw. So no pressure there. But um, I was just not really prepared like I should have been. I didn't understand a whole lot about announcing at the time. <clears throat> I thought I was just sitting there calling the match. Well, no, there's a straight commentator and there's a color commentator. And uh, Vince was the straight commentator who calls the action. I was supposed to be color. I was supposed to be, you know, uh, the Gorilla Monsoon or the Jesse the Body Ventura. And uh, I didn't understand that full well. So it started off not so good. And it was one of those situations where when you, you get an opportunity and it doesn't go well, at first, Vince is totally turned off to it, and he was just totally turned off to it then, and it just didn't happen. So, yeah, just one of those uh, opportunities lost, but, you know, it is what it is. It's that age-old question that we all ponder, is wrestling fixed? This is Bill Apter, and my answer to that is, I didn't know it was broken. So many of you know me from my days back at the classic wrestling magazines, and a lot of you from OneWrestling.com and OneWrestlingVideo.com. But I always get questions about various things I've did through the years to propel my career to where it is today as the world's most recognizable journalist in pro wrestling. What was my relationship with the McMahons? Was I the guy who started that feud between the actor, comedian Andy Kaufman and Jerry the King Lawler? What is Ric Flair really like? Who are my favorites? Well, all this and more answered in my book that you can get online or at your favorite book dealer called Is Wrestling Fixed? I didn't know it was broken. It's a great read, got great views, and hopefully you'll be picking it up soon too. So, the answer to Is Wrestling Fixed? You know it now. I didn't know it was broken. This is Bill Apter, and I'll see you at the matches. GTG, often imitated, but never duplicated. You can't have brawl at the shoulder, narrow at the hip. No other promotion. Give us any lip. We're the best of the best. The beast of the East. SOS, simply out of sight. GTG. When he said, Good times go to you. Vince gave you. Your release, didn't he? Am I am I right with that asking asking you that? They sent me home. Uh, he Jerry Briscoe, who's after WrestleMania twelve, and uh, I was just into a new contract, a one year rollover, and I had about eight or nine months left on it. And Briscoe came up and told me that Vince said I could go home because I had just been so disgusted with everything, and. Uh, I went home and sat on that contract and didn't get paid for the rest of the eight or nine months. They didn't release me. Um, I just sat there and finished it. <laughs> you know, um, I didn't want to make a big deal about it because, uh, again, I, maybe I was hoping of going back someday. But that's kind of how I left. I had complained to the point where I told Vince if he wasn't going to use me any better than he was, he could just send me home. And he talked about sending me to Memphis and letting me wrestle there, and he would pay me, which I agreed to. Uh, and then I told him to put it in writing <laughs> and I don't think that was a good idea because then he was just turned off to it. And then shortly thereafter, he sent Jerry Briscoe up to tell me to go home. So that was the end of it. How, how was Vince with you during your tenure with WWF? Vince is a shrewd businessman. Uh, Vince is a promoter and you got to understand that Vince will make promises that he will not keep, uh, because he will go in fully intending to keep the promise but then certain things change the conditions change for the matches or the angles or the feuds and he has to make changes on the fly and sometimes that cuts people out of something they were promised that's why so many people have dislike for Vince McMahon but if you think about it he's just being a wrestling promoter that's what they have to do sometimes they got to cut situations out and um you know if you can't handle that, you can't be in the wrestling business. You have to be able to handle being let down. Uh, you know, it's any, it's like any part of the entertainment industry. There's, there's going to be instances uh, where you're going to be let down. Uh, you know, rejection. You got to be able to handle rejection, or you're not going to make it in the wrestling business. And at the time, I was ill prepared for it. 
obviously off off the back of leaving WWF, you went you went on to wrestle independently, didn't you? Again. Yeah, I went back to the company I was working for in Florida and wrestled some with them, the Sunshine Wrestling Federation. But by that time, they had changed their name to Florida Championship Wrestling, FCW, before it ever became a uh, developmental territory for Vince McMahon. It was run down there by a couple of guys in South Florida. And I worked for them for a little while, but it didn't last too long. Um, You know, I, I ended up leaving there before too long. Now, I remember this fondly because I, uh, I, recorded, I recorded WrestleMania 17. Just to fast forward a little bit, Mike, and you came back for the Gimmick Battle Royal in Texas. How, how was that? How was it going back to do that? I mean, it was great to go back and be in a WrestleMania because I had not been in one before that. Uh, I, I was, again, I was working for that company in Florida at the time, and somebody came up and told me that they were going to do this gimmick battle royal at WrestleMania that I need to call Bruce Pritchard. So I called Bruce, and he got me in the match. And, uh, you know, it was interesting. All the old timers and the old gimmicks and, and stuff like that. 65,000 people in the Astrodome, amazing. Being able to stand there and live, watch live, uh, specifically the Benoit versus Kurt Angle match and the uh, Stone Cold versus The Rock match. Those two matches were unbelievable. Uh, and I knew it was a special WrestleMania, that's for sure. But um, it was just cool. It was cool to be back there and, and see everybody. Still considered the best one, isn't it? Like, among, uh, among yeah, fans. Yeah, I think it is. As, yeah, as, I believe it is. As a whole, as a whole, obviously, you can go back to WrestleMania 3, I think. But it didn't have match after match, did it? You know... But. Yeah, no, it didn't. I mean, it had the big one with Andre and Hogan, but um, yeah, seventeen was just from top to bottom um, an amazing WrestleMania. Cool, man. Cool. Uh, just going going into the present, Mike. Do you watch much wrestling now? I do not watch much current wrestling. I basically, what I'll do is if I see people talking about a match or something that seems interesting, I'll go watch it on YouTube or catch, you know, like a repeat, a replay of it somewhere. Um, but no, I don't watch a whole lot. Um, it's funny. I answered a question on Facebook today. Somebody, the, 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 the general question for everybody was, what year did you stop watching pro wrestling? And I, Uh, My answer was, I stopped watching pro wrestling the year that Triple H climbed in a casket and had sex with a dead body. That was, (laughs) that was the moment I literally remember I said, I'm not watching this anymore. And um, after that point, it was just a situation and people often ask me why I don't watch wrestling. The real reason though is it's simple. They just keep doing the same storylines over and over and over. They just plug in new names. But basically, the, the angles of the stories are the same. I mean, it's they must have a book, and they just go in randomly and pick a, a storyline and use it on the next two guys coming up because that's what wrestling is. Uh, they just rehash old storylines. And, you know, it's really not that exciting to watch. Now, sometimes they'll bring back somebody that was a friend or is a friend of mine, and I'll, I'll watch and see what's going on. Um, but I don't have the network, and I don't even have TV, actually. I just have internet access here at home. So I really don't watch much of anything. Oh, I, I don't know. The next, the next one was like, I was going to say, which guys do you feel are destined for greatness in, in the current product? Obviously, you said you've watched bits and pieces on YouTube. Who would you say, if you hit off the top of your head, maybe? You know who should have been destined for greatness? And I've always said this, and uh, I've never met the guy, but I've seen him work. Uh, Ziggler, Dolph Ziggler. Man, that dude, I always say he's a modern-day Kurt Hennig. Um, but for whatever reasons, he's been held down, you know, to mid-card status or whatever for most of his tenure in the WWE. And I think he's just riding out the paycheck at this point. Um but he is a great wrestler. There's just a difference. You know, obviously a lot of what they do now, I call it script working because everybody's on a script, whether it's in a match or in a promo, it's a script. But you can tell that Ziggler has the ability 
to go out and wrestle a match and manipulate the crowd like people used to do. He's not just getting through spot A to spot B to spot C, like the script says. He is he tells a story. He has psychology, for lack of a better term. He he manipulates the crowd. He takes the crowd where he wants them to go and they follow. Um those kind of guys are a dying breed in this business. You don't see many people that can call a match on the fly and work like that. Uh, I think Ziggler is one of those. Uh, I'll tell you what, I, it, me, me again this is, but I'm going to tell you, when, when he cashed in Money in the Bank, we were at WrestleMania, and I was, in, I was in the arena. I've not heard a pop like it since when I've seen Austin come out. When he cashed in that briefcase, and obviously... Alberto Del Rio kicked out the first time. I thought he's not gonna he's not gonna get it, and then he he got him he, he got him. But uh, I've not heard. And a, then they didn't do anything with it. I've not heard a pop like it, Mike. And you know yeah. we've had we've had CM Punk who got a big pop. But like you say, yeah, bit, bit of a waste. Bit of a waste with Ziggler, I think as well. And you see that happening more and more, which is another thing that I think that frustrates fans, and it's another reason I really don't watch much is. At some point down the road in the early 2000s, Vince McMahon decided he wasn't going to push single superstars anymore. He was going to push the brand, WWE. And that was a major change because now that makes everybody expendable no matter where they are on the card or how much money he has put into developing them. He could pull the plug at any time. And they often do, unfortunately, pull the plug on guys when they really shouldn't. Um, I, I think that's a lot of what's going on. It's all about the brand now and not developing uh, specific superstars like it used to be. I think Stone Cold and The Rock were the last two that they really pushed as superstars. Uh, and I think when Austin went home that time, not wanting to lose to Brock Lesnar, I think that was probably in large part the catalyst to make Vince decide, okay, we're going to change something. Because, you know, he'd been held up by the – Ultimate Warrior a couple times. He was held up once by Jeff Jarrett and other guys in different situations. And he was just tired of that happening. So he wanted to kind of be in control and always have the ability to just plug somebody else in. And that's kind of what we're seeing now. And it's like cookie-cutter wrestling. And um, I think that's what has a lot of fans frustrated. A lot, a lot of you guys, obviously, fan standpoint, doesn't really matter in this respect. The question I was going to ask, as a, as a wrestler... Um, and the wrestlers I've had on, they're saying nobody sells. Nobody sells in modern wrestling. What do you think? Man, everybody, everybody kicks out of each other's finishes four or five or six times. That's part of their storytelling process. And it's just, it doesn't make sense. I remember when I was there, you know, we're talking the, the early to mid 90s. And you had a road agents in the back, like Tony Gurria and Chief J. Strongbow and Georgie Animal Steel. And I would just remember guys like, Tony Gurria would say, you know, and this is when guys started doing moonsaults and everything else off the top rope and the splashes. And Tony Gurria goes, whatever happened to when a drop kick was a finish? <laughs> and it's like, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Whatever happened. And now it has just evolved even worse and gotten to the point where people are throwing everything but the kitchen sink and everybody's kicking out of everything just to get that cheap little pop of, oh, he kicked out, oh, he kicked out, over and over and over again. And uh, you wear out the fans on that. You start to wear them out and they get tired of it. And uh, that's what you're seeing a lot of is they're just kind of getting tired. Um, you know, yeah, it's the it, stuff, the, the moves don't mean anything anymore. Uh, they're not using them to tell a story. They're just, like I said before, getting through a match, spot A, spot B, spot C, and get it over with and get it done, and hopefully you get a pop. <laughs> do you think? Do you think it'll change where they'll look at how it was done years ago? Because, like you know, what, what's old, what's old's new again. Do you think they'll get past this and, and look at the old school ideals, how you did it, how you put a match together? What are your thoughts on that? I don't know. Uh, I don't think Vince is going to change it. Um, I think Triple H and what he's doing in NXT is uh, they're trying to have that type of wrestling uh, somewhat. Uh, they're trying to change it back a little bit to the old format style with NXT, but um, I don't think Vince will ever let that 
you know, Vince never respected the old school Southern style wrestling. I got dogs perfect. Sorry about <laughs> the mailman's here. Anyway, yeah, it, you'll never see that again. I, I think it, Triple H is trying with NXT, but Vince won't let that happen. Have you? I know you don't watch much of it. Have you seen any bits on the internet? AEW. That was my next one. Yeah, yeah, I see a lot of things that Chris Jericho does and a lot of the promos and, and a lot of the guys that are wrestling. You see a lot of stuff with that Orange Cassidy that people either love or hate. Um, you know, uh, different situations. Cody Rhodes and what he's doing, of course. I think that's an interesting take on the wrestling business, the way they're doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, equally trying to give everybody an opportunity to get over and um, putting everybody in positions where they can – raise their stock and uh, look better. And I think that's important. Um, You're not at the mercy of writers so much or backstage politics, I think, in AEW like it it is in WWE. I'm a big fan of um, Hangman, Adam Page, Mike. I think that... Yeah, I know who he is. I haven't really watched him much, but uh, I've seen some bits and pieces, but I've heard about him, and yeah. Ring, ring uh, of Honor. got a lot of good things. Sorry. Ring, ring of Honor, many a time. I know it's not always about having the title, but they put him in the TV title picture loads of times and never got it, so I'm kind of glad he's had some gold. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. I got dogs barking here. That's yeah, all right, Mike. But I agree with you. And, of course, I love more than anything watching Jim Cornette's responses to all of these federations. He, he about blows a gasket every time somebody has a, a dick match or a <laughs> what other, uh, whatever other kind of match. Um, that's one thing I do listen to is Jim Cornette's podcast. Brilliant. Listen to him go off on the current state of the business. Yeah. Um, that is always very enjoyable. Okay. Sounds good. All right, man. He's got the thing with Cornette. You either, you, lo- you either love him or you hate him. I, I like him. I respect where he's come from. But he just, it's modern wrestling. It, and he's, he's right. He can have an opinion like everybody else. That's how I look at Cornette. Yeah, and that's the same way I look at him. And it's, it's he says some things that are right. He says a lot of things that are wrong. Um, it's just entertaining. A lot of the things he says are very just entertaining to me, the way that he talks about, you know, to people in this business to piss him off or, or what the, the state of the business or what people are doing to it. You know, I don't take things so seriously. I think that the wrestling business is evolving the way it's going to evolve and there's going to be new things and new ways of doing things. Um, I don't fault anybody for getting over. Uh, I think I think Cornette is holding on for dear life uh, to the way things were, and it's not going to stay that way. But we can only hope that with companies like NWA and Ring of Honor and AEW that they at least try to bring back some of the good things that you would see in that type of wrestling. I'm going to come away from I'm going to come away from the wrestling now, Mike. Okay. Um, I just want to talk about what you do now, currently. Uh, you help people in recovery. How satisfying is it working and helping people out? It's great. Um, I, uh, it's no secret I've had my own personal struggles. And uh, in 2013, I got arrested on drug charges. I was selling some pills to somebody because I was trying to get stronger pills because I was in such a bad way myself. Anyway... As part of my deal, I went through a drug court program, which is kind of like a combination of probation and drug treatment at the same time, but very, very strict. And um, after I got arrested, I was done. I knew I was done with drugs and everything, and I was willing to do whatever it took. So I got through that program, no problem. It was easy because I was willing to change. Uh, But as soon as I finished, they asked me to work for them. And uh, I do that now. I work for this. It's uh, called the Adult Recovery Court Program here in Warren County and Van Buren County, in Tennessee. And, um, you know, I I work with a lot of people. Some of them are truly trying to change. Some of them are just trying to get out of jail. But 
you know, it's, and sometimes it's frustrating, uh, but sometimes it's very rewarding. And uh, I, I live for the days where I can help somebody change in a positive way uh, and get away from the, the drugs and alcohol, hopefully permanently. So uh, it is very rewarding. It's all about, um, it's all about, like you were saying earlier, being accountable, isn't it, for your own actions? Accountability is key. Yeah, and we have to teach them. We teach a lot of people that. It's, it's, the world does not revolve around us. We can't just do whatever we want whenever we want to do it. We have to take some responsibility. We have to be held accountable for our actions. Um, and, and we got to grow up. I remember Vince McMahon once was interviewed because there was a long str- string of wrestlers that were dying from drug overdoses. And uh, they were asking him if he felt like he had any uh, culpability in that, if any of it was his fault. And Vince McMahon just shook his head and he said, listen, at some point we all had to grow up and everybody needs to grow up. And a lot of people did not. And they kept living that lifestyle and it ended badly for them. Um, And I agree with that. It's not Vince's fault. And they took steps in the right direction anyway. They started offering free rehab for guys that used to work for him under contracts but um i truly believe that we all got to grow up and just take some of us longer than others but i've i eventually got there um and i i try to help others get there as well just i've i've had issues over the years mike um and i think you being honest about what happened you, you you've, you've been nothing but honest so i took a lot i took a lot from that your honesty you know when i've heard john shows and stuff well, I appreciate you saying that. Um, that was a big part of my recovery, man. Earlier, you know, I tried to get clean a couple of other times, and I tried to hide from it. I tried to hide it all away and not ever tell anybody about it. Uh, but the problem with that is I was destined to fall uh, back into that lifestyle. I was trying to hide it, this dirty little secret, and uh, addiction was just waiting for a moment of weakness and for me to mess up. But now... By sharing my story and talking to people about what I've been through, it takes the power away from it in my life. It takes the power of, you know, um, I'm not just waiting to, for a moment of weakness anymore and to screw up. Um, I, I have much more power walking through life. I feel a lot more powerful and, and uh, I don't have to live in fear of it anymore. And I don't have to hide from it anymore. You know, I just tell people I'm not embarrassed about it because I think the opportunity and the chance that I might help other people is a lot more important than my frail little ego sometimes. So it's important to share. Cool. Cool. Right. I want to talk to you uh, about your podcast project because that's currently coming together. So yeah, yeah we are with my friend Avi Klein and uh, his original podcast was called wrestling with anything, but, and um, I originally went on his podcast, and it was a great experience because it wasn't just a regular wrestling podcast. He's a history teacher by trade, and we had a great interview. And um, he started talking to me about wanting to possibly do something with me, and I told him my interest. I really wanted to do a podcast based on recovery, and not just from substance abuse and alcohol, but from any tough situation in life. Uh, that's kind of what we want to talk about, and it is called Road to Recovery. And uh, it will start on Friday, July 11th, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern time here in the U.S. and 5 p.m. Central time, which is my time, Tennessee. And uh, it will be, we will start off on Facebook Live from my private account, Mike Drosy. We're going to start there and it's going to simulcast to Twitch. Uh, And eventually we will move over to Twitch, but we are going to uh, just hopefully get folks to subscribe or download the app for Twitch, the free app, and uh, join us for Road to Recovery. It's a very important, I think, a very important podcast, uh, talking about tough situations that people have been through in their lives and how they found redemption. Um, Obviously, I know that very, very well. So that is the uh, project we are working on, Road to Recovery, and uh, brought to you by Wrestling With Anything But, and it will start on Friday, July the 11th, and I'm really looking forward to it. I'll be subscribing. Don't you worry. Thank will, you, sir. I appreciate it. I'll be behind it. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be in touch about that when it's all rocking and rolling. Right. right just to close out, can you plug your social media where people can find you? Yeah, just plug, plug your socials, please, Mike. 
Yeah, my private account is the Facebook account is what really took off with the stories. So it's where everything really kind of is based out of. It's just Mike Drosy. Um, and you'll know it when you see it because it's covered with Duke the Dumpster stuff. But uh, that is my face, my Facebook private account, Mike Drosy. I also have a Facebook fan page for Duke the Dumpster. It is Duke the Dumpster official. Um, I also have Instagram, which is also Duke the Dumpster official. And I have a Twitter page, which has just recently started to take off slowly but surely, uh, called at Real Duke Drosy. Uh, as a matter of fact, Jerry the King Lawler just uh, responded to one of my tweets yesterday. I was thrilled about that, actually. So, um, yeah, those are the my social media outlets. Those are where I'm doing things. But it is it is all based out of that Facebook private account, Mike Drosy. If you really want to see what's going on and the the stuff and I interact with fans there and through messenger and everything. I always try to make myself available as much as possible. That's cool, man. My guest, the Stu's wrestling podcast, Mr. Mike Drosy, WWE, WWF alumni, Duke the Dumpster Drosy. I was a big fan. I tell you loved it. Thanks to I really appreciate that brother. It's been a blast being on your show, man. You can catch Mike with Mr. Arby Klein. They do a weekly podcast every Friday and it's called Roads to Recovery. Arby does other podcasts with other wrestlers too during the week. But I'm going to touch upon this one with Mike because he's been on the show. So yeah, Roads to Recovery with Duke the Drumster Josie, Mike Josie and hosted by Arby Klein. Superb podcast and it's on Switch and it's on Facebook Live at the moment. So make sure you tune into that. A big thank you to Stephen Ash and Ed Dowling for producing the track it's Stu's Wrestling Podcast the theme so thank you very much for that lads much appreciated love it fits really well so cheers thanks to you big thank you to Mike Angus for the show intro as always superb superb Chris Dutton thank you very much for editing once again appreciate buddy and also to Lee who does my website Lee puts the stuff up on the website without you guys I'd be screwed so once again as always appreciate everything you do for me and the time you spend doing the things you do for me. It means a lot, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.